is happening, everyone? Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. A lot to talk about this week as Max Holloway once again impresses the hell out of everyone. Will Brewer, how are you? And after you answer that, I will pose a Max Holloway question. Okay, uh, well, I'm doing well. Uh, it's, it's always good to be talking about fights. Uh, we got some uh, good fights, like, all over the combat sports world on Saturday. That's right. Like, uh, uh, you know, of course, Pavlovich and Blades, and then you got the Bellator card with Stotts and, and uh, Apache Mix, and then you got um, another Bellator card on Friday, and then uh, you got Gervonta Davis, Ryan Garcia, which I'm super stoked for. So um, I don't know how I'm going to do my TVs this weekend because, like, there's so much going on in combat. And on top of that, there's the NBA playoffs. And you know how much I love basketball, but you know how much I love combat. So I'm just like, I need more TVs or or something. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to do it. You've got, you need to adopt my setup, man. That way you uh, can can catch it all. You, yeah, yeah. How many TVs do you have now at this point? I mean, well, I, I I have four on like my sports watching days that I I put together. So yeah. four. That's amazing. Four. That, yeah. that is outstanding. I have one TV. I have a laptop, and I have a phone. So maybe we'll do something with okay, that. Before, there you but go. Four, but four TVs where like you just got them all right here. It's like yeah. This, that's like a paradise right there, man. Well, listen, when when sports radio is your job, uh, it's an easier sell to the wife to have that sort of setup than, it, you know, if you were just like getting home from another job and being like, hey, I'm just ready to watch four screens of sports, you know. So it's it's a little easier sell with my specific situation. But yeah. So so what is the what is the sell? I, I mean, I, I know what the sell is, but like, how do you how do you present it? Like, what, like what, I got to I got to do my job. I mean, can't not do my job and get fired and then not be able to pay the bills. So, okay. So it goes, all right. I, I So I started with one, obviously. And then, like, did it just gradually go, like, okay, I have one. Okay, I need another one so I can watch them two, two at a time. And then it just, just grew from there. Like, I think I need another one. So yeah. I can, well, see, I think I need- luckily, when we met and first started dating, I was already at two. So, like, she's only known me having two screens in my living room. And it's just kind of grown from there. So, which, here's the other, here, here was the other thing. On nights that there's not three different things to watch, and there's only two, if we have a third screen, I can mute the two sports channels, and we can watch Love is Blind or whatever the hell you want to watch on one of the screens and actually have the audio up, and then we all win. Man, that now that that's 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 really good because I I feel like if I tried because you know you got Love Is Blind on and everything with the with the audio up but you have your sports over here your attention is not on Love Is Blind like let's be real right your attention is on the sports yeah so in my case if my attention was on the sports she be she would be like. Well, you can just watch this on this TV, and I'm just like, hey, hey, no, it's it, it it would be fine. Just let's just let me just you know peek over here every once in a while. Really, not not at all, but let me just peek over here every once in a while, <laughs> and like you, you can still we can still watch this. It's I'm multitasking. But, yeah, that's right. You got to multitask. But you know, it, it's good that you have a wife that's very understanding. That's, that's right. That's good. 
that's the, that is that is a key element to the entire equation working <laughs> because if she wasn't understanding, it doesn't matter what the sales pitch is, it's going to be a hell no. But yeah, she's very understanding and and uh, I I just kind of tie it up in a bow real nice when I when I present <laughs> it to her. So, but yeah. Anyway, so, all right. Are there flowers? I just need to. Know, are there flowers when you pre- when you pitch these ideas or like a, a a date night type thing? Are you like buttering her up at this point? Here's here's the trick to this. You don't have to do something special. You you just always have to be doing something special. Just stay in the sweet spot and don't have to like get yourself into the sweet spot. That's good. Always That's be working, good. Will. Always be working. That's good. That's good. I'm I'm, t- I'm taking notes. I'm taking yeah. notes. <laughs> yeah. All right. There we go. All right. Uh, Max Holloway question. For as great as Max Holloway is, and for as big a superstar as he is. Is he still underappreciated right now by MMA fans collectively? Uh, I think before this fight, yes. The answer to the answer to that is yes, because you you lose to the champion three times in a row, and while Max is still popular, um, you don't associate you don't really associate him with being the best because he's not the champion. So um, I think since he's not the champion. Uh, there's these questions on if he slowed down and uh, how much longer does Max have left and um, should he move up to 155 and 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 throughout all of this Max is just cool uh, uh, cool as they come and just like to be the best you got to beat the best and the best is blessed he always says that um, but yes I think he's uh, underappreciated but I think after his performance on Saturday it always takes those types of performances like you have to remind people. Uh, when you're, you know, because, you know, we, we see this so many times. Uh, a dominant champion like Max was loses to a guy who's just better, and then they just kind of yeah. fall off. They start losing and start going on losing streaks. Because they lose their motivation, right? If they're not fighting for the title, then they don't have the same motivation. Exactly. So, like, Max has just proven that he's still motivated by trying to fight Alex again. Like, he's that's what he's motivated by. And he's proven time and time again that, Outside of Alexander Volkanovsky, he's the best featherweight that we have. So, um, you know, no, no matter how much people want to say, you know, Arnold Allen might be able to get him, Calvin Cater might be able to get him. Like, I feel like every single fight that he's had outside of Volk these past few years, there's always that question of, is it time? You know, it might be time for Max. And yeah. every single time he just keeps proving that he's uh, still the number two guy. I walked away from that fight, uh, a lot like the Yair fight with Max, very impressed by Arnold Allen. We'll get to the Arnold Allen side in a moment. But, yeah, I think the the three losses to Volk in that trilogy uh, somewhat maybe diminish the appreciation for what Max has done. Well, when you look at the stretch he's on, take those losses out of the equation. Also, I mean, obviously take out the, the 155 loss to Dustin Poirier. Arnold Allen win. The Yair win, the Calvin Cater win, Frankie Edgar, Brian Ortega, Aldo twice, Pettis, Lamas, Jeremy Stevens, Charles Oliveira, Cub Swanson. That's insane, man. It's insane. The stretch that he has been on, the killers that he has fought, and the dominance in which he has, I think, put forth in a lot of these fights. Uh, Yeah, just kind of like I know we all know how great Max is. I know he's a superstar. I know people love him. But I think even with all of that, like there's still sometimes maybe just an underappreciation for what he actually does inside the octagon. And it was 
once again, another just unbelievably terrific performance Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, that 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 list, there's no one who has a resume like that uh, at featherweight, really. I mean, you got Volk, who's who's starting to fight some of these contenders now. Working but on it, yeah. He's working on it. But, like, Max has been doing this for so long. Like, he it literally entered the UFC at 20 years old. And you can honestly say that each each time out, he's just getting better. Volk just has his number. and But that's not to diminish uh, what Max has done uh, throughout his career. I mean, me- resume-wise, um, Max, is, Max is up there with some of the best fighters of all time. He just... Uh, just can't beat Volk. I mean, if if he was to get a win over Volk, I mean that would t- kind of change a lot in terms of his in terms of his legacy. He's already recognized as probably the one of the greatest featherweights of all time. But if he were to beat Volk, that would, you know, who knows what that would do to him? Yeah. I, I mean, I know legacy wise, that's you know probably what he's fighting for at this point. So uh, Max has, despite what people think, he has a lot to fight for, and he's proven it. And just uh, once again, just unbelievably impressive against really tough competition. And I'm glad that he's still putting forth that sort of of uh, performance, even when he's lost the three fights to Volk. Um, you also forget he's only 31 years old, Will. I, I think of all the men's champions, there's only one men's champion right now that is younger than Max Holloway. Like he's still a very young man. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably would have guessed, like, I heard them say that he was 31 on the broadcast, and I was shocked by that, but I would have guessed that he was at least 33, 34, because he's yeah. just been around for That's so right. long that, he, like, being 31, uh, it's just shocking. So, like, I don't really know what age I would say, like, a fighter hits their prime, but it's possible that Max hasn't seen his best days yet. You know, it, it's very possible that his prime years uh, are coming in, uh, in the next couple of years. So, um, and, you know, even with this fight, you know, after fighting Volk, I think those fights with Volk have made Max better. Look at the performance that he had after the second Volk fight. He goes to and fights uh, Calvin Cater. That was one of his greatest performances ever. Probably, I think that's one of the greatest just performances in UFC history ever, right? Absolutely. And then... He, he fights Volk this third time, and, of course, it, it went how it went. But this fight with Arnold Allen was was not an easy puzzle to solve. And Max looked – he looked quick. His footwork was on point. His kicks were on point. His activity didn't uh, take a hit. I mean, Max is just continuously getting better, and we have to respect that. And still uh, cannot be put away no matter what people hit him with, right? I mean – I think in terms of prime, we may not, from a skill standpoint, seen the best of Max Holloway yet. I think that maybe maybe he could be better. My only concern is the guy's never been put down, right? And he, he, does, he has taken a lot of big shots. Is there a point where maybe that starts to go the other way? But there's no signs of that yet, right? Like, nobody has really hurt Max. I think it's going to take... Um hit him with some crazy shots in this fight. Uh, that, that second round, Arnold Allen was really catching him. And then in the fifth round, too, um, he was really trying to take his head off, for sure. And Max is just taking these shots like they're just regular <laughs> regular punches. But uh, uh, we haven't seen Max really get affected by anybody's punches except for Dustin Poirier at lightweight. Right. 
So I think, you know, with the with with these these guys just need to stop trying to knock him out at this point. I do feel like there there might be a time when we see Max get dropped, but in terms of just going out there and just trying to knock his head off and just trying to uh, knock him out, separate him from consciousness, I think I think for now, just we should stop that. Just try to go out there and try to uh, be better. I, I don't know how you do that, but uh, <laughs> trying to knock him out is just only damaging yourself. The only guy that's not been able to do that is Volk. All right, now let's talk about Arnold Allen's side of this equation because I thought he was also really good. I've been really high on Arnold Allen for a long time. The win streak comes to an end. I would also say this is by far, I mean, it's not it's not only the biggest step up in competition that he's faced, but Will, I mean, like nothing can even compare to this, right? Like the cater fight ends prematurely, if you will. Um, you know, Dan Hooker was dropping weight and, it, you know, it just, I, I, like he's not fought for five rounds an elite featherweight. And now you're fighting one of the guys that's on the Rushmore he goes the full five rounds. I thought he had moments. The fifth round, when his corner is like, you need a finish, he went after it. You wonder if he had started that earlier in the process, if if maybe the fight looks a little bit different. I don't I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but, um, you know, this was a giant step up in competition. He had never gone five rounds. I think there was, there was also maybe some pacing going on. He's going to be a better fighter just from having experienced this, but... You know, who knows if they had had a different approach or if they had been through some five round fights and, and kind of have an idea of of what to expect if this fight looks any different. I, I'm still very high on Arnold Allen, uh, even after Saturday night. Yeah, and, and we all should be. I mean, I think the questions that I had, uh, can he go five rounds and is Arnold Allen that good? Uh, were both answered and they were both. Yes, Arnold Allen is that good. And he prove that he can go five rounds. I do think there was a lot of questions that he had for himself. Maybe um, if he would have had more five-round experience, maybe the fight does look a little different. But the fact that he didn't, you know, maybe there was pacing. And then, you know, fifth round, he still got, you know, some some gas in the tank. And that's when you go out there and just leave it all out on the line. But I do think even with him, you know, pacing, um, he still fought well. There was a lot of close rounds. Um, Max's activity was crazy. That's... Max knows how this goes. He's been in the highest uh, level of, of featherweight that you can that you can ask for. Uh, so many five round fights, so many championship fights. So Max has been there and done that. This is new territory for for Allen, and I just think this is only going to help him. Um, he's not done by any means. I still think that um, he's better than a lot of heavyweights. I think he, I think going in. Arnold Allen was the was the most skilled featherweight that Max has fought outside of Volk, and I still think that. So uh, I think he's got some good matchups uh, going forward, but I think we'll see uh, Allen at the top of the division for, for years to come. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, in terms of matchmaking, what would you like to see next for both Max Holloway and Arnold Allen? Well, Max... I have, I have uh, a hard time saying Arnold Allen for some reason. I, I do, it does I do not. So I just, it does not flow very well for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I just stopped saying the first name and just Arnold. started saying Allen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Arnold, Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> Good lord. So um, for Max, he obviously has to do more uh, to to get another title shot, and I don't think he should be clamoring for a title shot by any means. But I think um, I don't think he should be fighting some of these contenders who are like. 
in line for Volk because, you know, we're, we're looking at Volk not having anybody to fight because, you know, they're running in the max first and he, he's going to, you know, beat them more times than not. He's going to be the featherweight uh, Robert Whitaker. Exactly. So, yeah. So uh, then, you know, that leaves Volk with nobody to fight. That leaves Volk wanting to go up to feather or to lightweight to fight for the title again, uh, kind of holding up the division in a way. So with that said, um, Max, uh, mentioned something about fighting the Korean zombie. And I think that um, zombie answered him and said, uh, I'd be down for it. So I think that that fight makes a ton of sense. Uh, featherweight uh, veterans going at it. Uh, both guys have lost to Volk. So it doesn't really do much for the division. Uh, I think everyone has a pretty good idea of how that fight would go. So um it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't halt the division at all. The division is still able to keep moving, and, and these young guys yeah. are still able to uh, elevate themselves. So I think that's a good matchup for Max. And then um, Arnold Allen. Um, I thought that the Josh Emmett fight would have been perfect for him, but Emmett's now fighting uh, Taporia. So maybe the winner or loser of that fight gets Arnold Allen, or maybe he fights um, Brian Ortega. So... Those are, those are what I think. Great minds, my friend. You basically said almost word for word everything that I was going to say. So for Max, Korean Zombie to me is the only thing that makes sense in the, in the featherweight division. Uh, and they've, you know, I mean, it's, you're hard-pressed to find big matchups for him anyway. Korean Zombie is a big matchup. It's a top 10 opponent, and it's somebody that he's not fought before. Uh, I think it's, it's perfect for both guys. Uh, stylistically, could be very fun as well. And then, yeah, I think for Arnold Allen, Brian Ortega, to me, is the one that makes the most sense, uh, depending on, I don't know what his timeline is, but that's the one to me that that absolutely clicks. I love the Josh Emmett-Ilya Taporia matchup. Um, you know, we have Evloev and Bryce Mitchell coming up. I was thinking about this over the weekend after that fight card concluded, and I started having the thoughts of what's next for Allen, what's next for Max, start looking at the rankings well, I don't know. I mean, this is as good a top 10 in the featherweight division as there is in any division in the sport right now. I know we talk a lot about bantamweight. We talk a lot about lightweight and, and rightfully so. I don't think featherweight is that far behind. I think they have closed the gap. And when you look at their top 10 and Volk is your champion, you know, I mean, he has an argument for number one pound for pound. Then you've got Yair, Max, Brian Ortega, Arnold Allen, Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater, Korean Zombie, Giga Chikadze, Ilya Taporia, and Mavzar Evloev as your top 10. And then even just in the top 15, Bryce Mitchell, Sadiq Youssef, Dan Ige, Edson Barboza, and uh, Alex Casares. Are you kidding me? That featherweight division right now is absolutely loaded with, I think, guys that are on the come up and and ready for statement type of fights. Yeah, I think that this division doesn't get the love that it really deserves because Volk is so dominant and Max is so dominant. You don't really look at the rest of the division as viable threats, but they like like you said, like the names on that on that list, they could make for uh, really good matchups no matter where it is. Um, Evloev is very interesting. The Evloev Bryce Mitchell fight is is very interesting. Uh, I can't wait to see that one. Uh, Bryce Mitchell needs a win after uh, Taporia uh, pretty much dominated him. Uh, Taporia seems like he's uh, on the come up. I think him and Josh Emmett, it, like you said, is a is a great matchup. 
Future um, champ Taporia, by the way. You think? I've been calling it for, yeah, yeah. If, if Taporia were to fight Volk, you like that, Matt? I, think, you know, I don't know if he's getting that fight soon, but I think at some point he will be featherweight champ, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to say, I think that um, right as of right this moment, Yair is the toughest matchup that Volk has had to face up to this point. But to throw in a guy like Taporia, you know, Yair presents physical um, uh, attributes that will give Volk problems. The length, the speed, the kicks, the you know, all that. I think just skill for skill, um, Taporia is up there with Volk. That's we right. need to see we need to see more from Taporia, but I think skill for skill, he's a guy that could potentially match Volk, and then uh, he's a guy that's similar in size to Volk. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that fight would play out. But yeah, that would be that would be a very fun fight. Um, I think Taporia and Josh Emmett. Um, while I do think Josh Emmett will be very tough, uh, it, it'll be a test for Taporia. But I think um, if Taporia approaches that fight with a clear head he should be able to win that so uh it should be a, it should be fun to see this featherweight division kind of um come together and then on top of that i'm gonna get your thoughts on this now that we're talking about the featherweight division what do you think would happen if aljo wins or loses and then he comes up enter a former champion into the featherweight division what where, where do you think aljo uh, could potentially factor into this featherweight uh, division. I think it'd be interesting. I, I, I don't know that I see him at a, as a champion at 145, but I absolutely see him as a factor and a, a guy you don't want to match up with, right? I mean, he would be... I mean, you know, we talked about Bryce Mitchell kind of being the boogeyman in that division just because he was stylistically unlike any other top 15 fighter in the division. I think Aljo would, would be similar, only he's clearly much more skilled in that department. Um, you know, there's there's some killers, but I, I, I don't know. I, I could see Aljo competing and being a, a true contender. I don't know that I would I would put him at, at the... Like, my prediction wouldn't be championship, but I think he'd be a real threat. And he would absolutely be a player. If, I, if I'm Aljo, I, I'm trying to uh, avoid having to fight I'm, I'm trying to go right to the title um and i think he's got a good chance especially if he wins and then vacates the title i think he's got a good chance because outside of yair I, I, after that you know you got max and everything but there's no clear guy That's after right. that you know alan just lost so i think if i'm aljo and i win this fight and i really want to go up to featherweight i think that the chance is right there um for him to fight, uh, for him to fight Volk next. So, I I think the the opportunity is there, but we but of course we have to see what happens uh, May six. But this featherweight division, like you said, it's very very interesting. It's on fire, baby. I love I love that division right now. I think it's full of names that have positive momentum. There's a bunch of really good matches to be made, and I can't wait to see it all play out. Co-main event, well, this was one that I thought was going to be an absolute battle. Uh, I was so torn on this fight and which way to go, uh, but I just kind of felt like Edson Barboza still has a really high ceiling. I, I, I was a little bit hesitant as to like how, how much of that we could see in a fight with Billy Q and his pressure and just the dog that he is, 
but uh, we have another knockout of the year candidate. I'm not at all suggesting that it is going to beat Israel Adesanya's knockout, but it, it should absolutely be on the list at this point of 2023. What a KO for Edson Barboza. Yeah, man. I, I think at this point, um, unless you have like a striking arsenal of a of a um, Giga Chikatse, if or unless you have just dominant wrestling like a Bryce Mitchell, Billy Q, while he's been on a tear and while he's looked really good, he was going to fight Edson Barbosa's fight. And I just really didn't see how Billy Q, while he's tough, I just didn't see how he was going to be able to um, – to beat Barbosa when Barbosa has such a striking arsenal. I think I feel like Billy Q is more of a of a, a boxing style guy, but um with with Barbosa's kicks and with his unorthodox striking and everything, uh I really liked uh Barbosa's side of this in this matchup. And then in terms of the knockout, I mean nobody saw that knee coming. It was so quick, it was out of nowhere. Um and you know Billy Q uh that was like you know DC always says it's those shots you don't see coming that 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 hurt you the worst. There was no way. It was so fast. It was kind of hidden. There was no way that Billy Q could do anything about that. So uh, Barbosa just showing that even though he's getting older, you know, he didn't look bad on the scale and um, he didn't look depleted when he was in there. Uh, he looked fast. He looked normal. So uh, Barbosa's still doing it, man. He's uh, number fourteen in that division. Uh, you know, I know he he has some losses to, like you said, Bryce Mitchell, Giga Chikadze. Uh, but very much a problem uh, in the right type of matchup. And uh, another just absolute killer and fun stylistic uh, fighter within that top 15 of the featherweight division. All right, uh, let's move on. We have the light heavyweight fight with Azamat Mirzakhanov and Dustin Jacoby. This was a really interesting fight because clearly Azamat won round one. Jacoby was winning round two until he got hit with the big shot at the end of the round. And then Jacoby had to pour it on in round three. He won the round, but ultimately I think was so gassed by the end that he he went for the takedown instead of getting the finish. I just don't think he had anything left. Um, this was uh, this was a fun matchup, and uh, Azamat remains undefeated. You know, I thought that this was a tough matchup for him because uh, the, the the height difference, and then Jacoby being such a good kickboxer, I thought that this was. Uh, just going to be a real tough matchup for him. And I thought that this was the toughest uh, matchup that he's seen at this point. You know, sometimes you look at a guy who's undefeated, you see the record and you're just like, ah, this is where it stops. Like, um, what's my boy's name that just fought uh, Alexander Volkov, um, gained a whole bunch of weight in between fights. Oh, uh... um, uh, lost to uh, Tybura. Yeah. Um, well, he was uh, he was undefeated, and he dropped that fight to Tybora and then just like completely fell off. So I thought that this was going to be something similar to that. Romanov. Where, yeah, Alexander Romanov. Yeah, so I thought that this was going to be similar to that. I thought Mirzakhanov was going to go up against Jacoby, lose that, and then kind of fall off. But he showed that he's he's a problem because he was taking the kickboxing and, and all that right into Dustin Jacoby's wheelhouse and uh, hurting him. And really had his way in the first two rounds. The third round, um, you, you could tell he was tired. He was kind of barely hanging on. Jacoby came on strong. But um, Jacoby just kind of dug himself into such a deep hole that it was too substantial for him to climb yeah. out of. So, But great performance from Merzikhanov. 
Yeah, the uh, the power from him was shocking. Like I knew he was going to be the more powerful uh, in this fight, but almost it was to the point that like he had no respect for what Jacoby was throwing back at him, and you could visibly tell the difference when he landed versus Jacoby landing. Absolutely, um, and I don't know if Jacoby really thought that his power. Um, maybe he underestimated his power because it seemed like he was too easy, um, easily hit. And I, I was I was kind of surprised by yeah. that. I thought that Jacoby would play more of a, of a distance game, but um, he was able to. But Merzlikhanov was able to just kind of have his way and kind of land at will and was hurting him. That power is uh, for him to be such a. Uh, uh, he, he's smaller, but he's you know stout, and you can tell that he packs uh, a lot of power with his punches. I I think the fight before this, um, he fought he fought someone who was a big power puncher, and he landed this knee, and the guy like kind of flew off of him like he's just gotten uh, exploded, and it was crazy. Um, That's so, the Devin Clark fight. No, it or was Tefan and Chukwe. Yeah, 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 in in, in Chukwe. Yeah, okay. it was that one. Uh, the, he he need him, and it just looked like he just got like blown up or something. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. So um, he was number fifteen, and I think um, he, you know he's going to obviously go up. I think uh, there's he's a lot four of spots. Fun. He's at eleven. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's he's right outside the top ten. So there's some fun matchups out there for him for sure. I wanted to see Mirzakhanov and Khalil Roundtree, but. I mean, Roundtree's at 14 now. I don't know if, if uh, Azamat would want to go back. I mean, he's undefeated, so I'm assuming he wants to fight up. Uh, but that, to me, would either be a one-round, somebody is is going to a, the Shadow Realm, or it might be the most boring fight of all time. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that with the way that he fights Merzakhanov, I think that it would be more of a, a one-round. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you could see, like, both guys being hesitant. Because both have so was, much power, yeah. Yeah, and, and Roundtree was very hesitant against Jacoby, but when he opened up, he did hurt him. So I think that would be a that would probably make a lot of sense to me because you know, a lot of times the top ten guys ne- never want to fight below them, and then when you're just needing a fight, um, the UFC well you got to fight down, and then Clear Roundtree is on a winning streak, so. Um, I think that fight would make a ton of sense, and it would be and, fun. And both close wins over Dustin Jacoby, right? Right. There you go. All right, Ion Kudalaba over Tanner Bozer, who was moving down to light heavyweight. In fact, I think they said on the broadcast, Will, that he came in like three pounds under the 205 limit, uh, which is crazy that a heavyweight is moving down to 205 and he came in that much under. Uh, but uh, this was Ion Kudalaba all the way. Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, much like this fight reminded me of uh, Arnold Allen and Dan Hooker. I thought that Allen did a great job of never letting Dan Hooker settle into this new life, this new weight class. Um, I think if he would have did that, Dan would have found his footing and everything, and it would have been tougher. But Allen kind of smothered him from the jump, and that's kind of what Kutalaba did. Uh, Just smothered him from the jump, never let him uh, really get set, hurt him right away, and uh, just bounced on him, or pounced on him, I should say. So... Uh, that's the perfect way to fight these guys who are making huge changes and cutting a whole bunch of weight. Um, I will say Tanner Boza looked great on the scale. Yeah. Uh, he didn't look depleted or anything, but when you're cutting that much weight and it's been a minute since you've had to do that, um, that's the type of things that could happen. So 
Uh, it was a much-needed win for Kutalaba. He did fight like he was desperate because this was a win that he absolutely needed or else it might have been a wrap for him in the UFC. So uh, a win much-needed, and he got it done. Death taxes and bantamweights. Pedro Munoz over Chris Gutierrez. I loved this fight. Well, clearly the fans in Kansas City disagreed because they were booing throughout. What the hell was wrong with those people? I thought this was a really fun fight to watch. Yeah, you know... Maybe, maybe there weren't a lot of hardcore fans in there. Maybe you know everyone just wanted to see blood, guts, and and all that stuff. But yeah, um, yeah I thought this was a very uh, tactical fight. I thought that uh, this was, you know, a Pedro who kind of got written off by a lot of people, and Chris Gutierrez who just who's coming off that big win against Frankie Edgar. So people were kind of high on him. You know, I thought that he, he was bigger. His legs are are massive. And it kind of seemed like Pedro used that to his to uh, Chris Gutierrez's disadvantage, uh, being able to take him down, control him. Uh, he fought him in in a very very smart and strategic way, and uh, got the win. You know, um, Sean O'Malley is now fight, about to fight for the title, and he never really beat Pedro Munoz. I think people kind of wrote off Pedro. Yeah, and. Uh, they kind of acknowledged that Sean O'Malley fight as a win for O'Malley when really Pedro was winning that round. Yeah, he was ahead. For, yeah, he was ahead to me. So, um, I, and and this fight just proves that he's still one of the best in the world. So, uh, I think there's still a lot of fun matchups out there at bantamweight for him. And, you know, death taxes at bantamweight like you always say. And he's going to fight someone next probably who he won't have that type of you know, strategic, I'm going to take you down type fight. I think the next one could possibly be one of those fights where he shows his his brawl style. Yeah. I, I love that we're seeing the layers of Pedro Munoz, though, who uh, I think for the most part always puts on a show. All right, the main card uh, featured or kicked off with Hoffa Garcia and Clay Guida. Hoffa Garcia got the win. Uh, Will, I think maybe the most prominent aspect of this fight was what happened after the fight with Clay Guida taking off his gloves and getting the post-fight interview to wish somebody happy birthday. I know Dana White was, um, quote-unquote, pissed off about it. Um, like, I, I, I get it. I mean, it's Clay Guida, though. Come on. It's Clay Guida. Can anybody be, ever be mad at Clay Guida? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for all that that man has done for your sport, and he's still fighting all these years later, he's got over 30 fights in your promotion, and the fans love him. Um, I mean, come on, Dana. I mean, if there's anyone that you would let have a moment like this, it's a, it's Clay Guida. And all he said was happy birthday. He didn't cuss you out or say, I want more money or anything like that. He just wished someone a happy birthday. So what? Get over yourself, man. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I get it. You don't want to make it a trend where people do the fake out of taking off their gloves and thinking they're calling it quits. But this isn't some, like, this isn't Patty Pimblett doing it, right? Like, right. It's it's Clay Guida who's been in there a billion times. Like, you know, I think he's earned maybe a little bit more leash than than most people. If this were somebody else, I might have a different opinion. But context matters. Now, imagine if he were to get knocked out and or in in his next fight, this say this interview never happens. Say he gets knocked out and retires and never gets that opportunity to to speak on the mic again. Then Dana White will feel like an asshole because he's like, damn. I got I I just got mad at at Clay Guida for you know speaking on the mic when you know people want to hear from him. I mean it's not he's such a fan favorite and he wasn't saying anything that was just like crazy. So 
I don't know, Dana. You, you gotta, you gotta have a little bit of a heart, man. Pick your battles, right? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I, like in general, do would I like that to see that become a, a thing? No, I would not like to see that become a thing. But it's Clay Guida, right? But for like, Clay Guida, yeah, like, yeah, let let him have a have a moment. It's yeah. okay. If this were Henry Cejudo, <laughs> like maybe I feel differently about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Clay Guida. Uh, all right. Um, just a couple real quick comments on the prelims, um, especially those those last few fights. Um, I mean, Jillian Robertson looked great at uh, at flyweight. Zach Cummings over Ed Herman uh, with the finish. Brandon Royval, incredible, a guy that I've I've felt like is cream of the crop at 125, getting the win over Nicolau. And then uh, that Bill Algio TJ Brown fight was also a lot of fun with a fun ending. Yeah, you know, how about uh, Bill Algio with the with that rear naked choke? That was a very back and forth fight. Both guys were hurting each other. It looked like uh, Algio might have got knocked, was about to get knocked out, but he comes back, gets a submission win. Uh, Jillian Robertson dropping down the strawweight. She looked great. I think she could potentially be a player. Oh, straw, uh, I think it's a flyweight. Yeah, strawweight. Yeah, she was a flyweight, but she you know she just dropped down. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Royval. It seems like he's really coming into his own. Um, Nicolau did miss weight, but um, the way that Royval knocked him out, it, that wasn't that didn't have anything to do with the weight miss. That was Brandon Royval just being uh, just being vicious. And then uh, Zach Cummings, Ed Herman, you know, props to both of those guys. You know, Zach Cummings had the back injury, was out for you for a few years, comes back at 205 against Ed Herman, who's uh, fought everyone, been in, across different weight classes. So it was good to see both of those guys had the fight that they had and then both guys retiring and having a moment in the middle, in the middle of the octagon where they were both, uh, super appreciated. Um, so props to both those guys, man. All right. Before we make picks, uh, I do want to bring up the cancellation of the Charles Oliveira, Benil Dariush fight. What a, what a massive bummer for Benil Dariush. Um, look, I thought he already deserved the title fight. I didn't think he needed to fight Oliveira, to get a title fight. He was supposed to fight Islam, what, two years ago or however long it's been now. He's clearly the number one contender. Um, I mean, in terms of that lightweight division and all the guys that have had a shot, and he's the one that hasn't, he's he's absolutely earned it. Just give him the title shot already. Like, why are we so hell-bent on making him fight one more time when Islam doesn't even have a current opponent? Yeah, you know, I, I guess... He's kind of in that Bilal Muhammad territory where he uh, has the resume, but he hasn't gotten that one name that puts you over the top. Uh, and I guess they feel like Charles Oliveira is that name for him. Uh, I think the winner of that fight is obviously going to get a title shot, yeah. whether it's Oliveira or Darius. Um, but my first thought when when I heard that this fight was off was, okay, give Islam... And Benil make that fight for Abu Dhabi. I think that's yeah. perfect. But um, they came out and said that um, Benil and Charles are going to fight just in a, in a month. So, you know, it sucks for Benil that he really has to do this. Um, all because of a, of a leg injury that he suffered. And um, he was always willing to, to fight whoever to, and to get back to this point. And he just he beat Gamrot. So I feel like that should have been enough. But, you know, now he's got to fight Charles Oliveira, uh, who's the former champion. So it's just one more win, but it's not it's not an easy task at all. 
and it's it would suck if he didn't get this win. I love Charles. I do. I do, too. Charles has gained my respect, but I I would love to see Benil win this fight and get a title shot because he really deserves it. It almost feels like they're protecting Islam because I feel like Benil Dariush is by far the biggest threat to Islam's title reign of any currently ranked lightweight in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, I I wonder if it's... um, what is his manager's name? Um, the guy that uh, Ali—I uh, don't know how to say his last name—but yeah. I feel like he's got like some type of pool where like he feel or like he's able to not matchmake, but kind of you know offer things and say like, well, I think this guy should fight this guy before they have to fight my client and some stuff like that because it just makes no sense. Um, you can kind of understand where. You know, Benil might need one more in terms of the, uh, you know, uh, the selling of a, of a pay-per-view or something like that. But if Charles pulled out, the first the first thing they should have did was offer Benil a title shot. But Benil came out and said, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Benil came out and said, well, the, the UFC told me that there was that they felt like there was someone that there were people ahead of me. And they specifically pointed out. Dustin Poirier and he said that he was ready to start flipping tables over because he thought that was just such bullshit and I love Poirier don't get me wrong I love the guy but at this point right now he doesn't deserve the title shot over Benil Dariush my two favorite fighters on the entire UFC roster are both in the lightweight division they are Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje and Benil Dariush one million percent deserves a title shot over either guy Not even close. Not even close. Like, and I love those two guys. I would love to see Dustin have another opportunity at the title. I would love to see Justin have another opportunity at the title. Absolutely. I want one of those guys to be able to ultimately get that undisputed championship. But Benil Dariush is the most deserving 155-er walking this planet. I don't even think there's a discussion. Yeah, and I, I wonder if it has anything to do with like this lightweight division and the matchups. Like you got Dust, like you you feel like Dustin and Justin are kind of just on a collision course. Like that right. fight makes a ton of sense. You got McGregor fighting Michael Chandler, and then you have like if you weren't if you were gonna do Islam and Benil, um, what do you do with Charles? And then I heard another thing, Volk came out and said that he was offered an immediate rematch with Islam, but Islam said he wanted to take half a year off. And yeah. I think part of that has to do with uh, with Ramadan, that Ramadan thing. But then I'm like, man, like how is he just so um, allowed to take su- such a long time off? He's going to be like Khabib. He's, he's, <laughs> it's a tough weight cut. He's not going to be an active champion. I don't I don't believe that. I think we'll see him like at best twice a year. But yeah, I think they're going to be long stretches between his fights. Yeah, before Ramadan in October in Abu Dhabi and then probably just those two year year yeah. after year. <laughs> just like March or like February, March area and then October. Maybe. Maybe we'll see. But maybe, yeah. I it wouldn't surprise me if that was a once a year type thing. And he's certainly not going to have like a few months between a couple of fights. 
No, I think yeah, it's too it, draining on him. And and they are sure. very smart and strategic in terms of when they're going to fight, right? When you're cutting that much weight and that's the type of, of fighter you are, like they're they're going to be very precise with when they pull the trigger. So, uh, but yeah, I, like everybody in that division has fought each other except for Islam and Benil. Like there's no fresh matchups out there except Islam and Benil. So just make that the matchup and they were supposed to fight anyway. And that's that's such a that's such a good fight, man. Such a good fight. I mean, I I know that you that the UFC probably thinks they would have trouble selling that fight. I mean, forget it. You had a main event of Jan Blahovich and Glover Teixeira at one point, and I'm sure you you couldn't have thought that that was going to do much um, selling. That fight was actually uh, on free TV, if you remember. So like, <laughs> that's right. Why not just you know if if, you, if that fight if Islam and Benil means that much to you or doesn't mean that much to you and you think that's not gonna uh, do a lot of pay-per-view just make it free listen i don't <laughs> give a damn what they think about islam and benil selling just look at the current lineup for the next pay-per-view and tell me that islam and benil dariush <laughs> isn't good enough for pay-per-view because we do this every single pay-per-view is this fight card worse than ufc 270 and will unless something changes in the next two weeks the next pay-per-view is 100% worse than UFC 270. This will be the worst pay-per-view lineup that they have given us in a long, long time. Like, I can't even remember the last card that was this bad. It, like, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad card, but I'm saying in terms of what UFC pay-per-views are, this one falls way short of the standard. Yeah. Uh, I way mean, short. Yeah, I mean... Aljo and Henry, that's a great fight. Uh, I really want to see that fight. That's a great fight. But, you know, no disrespect to Jessica Andrade and Yan Xiaonan, but that's not your typical pay-per-view co-main event. That's more of a fight night co-main event or fight night main event or like just like a pay-per-view uh, main card fight. But that's not a pay-per-view co-main event. Uh, Drew Dober and, and Matt Frivola is going to be fun, but like – that's your featured as a featured battle on this card. Evloev, Bryce Mitchell, that's fun, but like, you know, Crone Gracie, Charles Jordan, like these are all fun fights. But like we're if you're trying to sell a pay-per-view, not many people are gonna know, you know, most of these people's names on this card. So uh yeah, something needs to happen. You know, Dana said that they're working on a uh a co-main event. This this fight card desperately needs that. Um, desperately, it needs a good one. Um, I hope because I, I've seen you know these two kind of circling each other on Twitter. I hope that it's Gilbert Burns versus Bilal Muhammad. I don't know how close that's going to be uh, because Bilal said he's just coming off the couch and Gilbert Burns is in fight shape, but Bilal wants it to be a catchweight. So I don't know how close or far away that is to being done, but. Let me ask you this. If that fight was to be made, Gilbert Burns versus Bilal Muhammad, would that make that this fight card better than 270? No. I was thinking about it as I was saying it. And I was like, would, would this be better than 270? Nope. I would have to... I it don't know, massively man. improves what it currently is. Yeah. But it, it, it... Yeah, no. No? I don't think so. Not for me. Okay. Damn, I forgot the... I know what the two... 
um, featured or the two main events were, but you had Michelle Pajeda, Andre Fialio, Saeed Nurmagomedov, Cody Stamen, Michael Morales, and Trevin. You don't think this is better than 270? No. Just the main and co-main event of 270 completely overshadows everything else. Yeah. Well, put it that way. Uh, all right. I'll give you that one. Yeah, this is a this one's this one's uh very very short of the UFC pay per view standard in my mind. So doesn't mean I'm not excited about the matchups and the fights. And there's there's some fun fights on the card. Just very little in terms of big star power and very little in terms of like meaningful matchups in like in terms of like title opportunities and things of that nature. So. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one, especially right. coming off of that four pay per view <sighs> yeah. stretch that we had. I mean, that's from the other going part. From that, going from that to this, that's a big drop off. That's the other part is that the the last four pay per views. My God, man! <laughs> and then you have this. It's like we were we we've been spoiled to spoiled say the least. Spoiled rotten, no <laughs> doubt about it. All right, UFC Fight Night Saturday is a heavyweight main event featuring Sergey Pavlovich and Curtis Blades. But our main card begins in the welterweight division. It is Jeremiah Wells and Matt Simmelsberger. Jeremiah Wells and Matt Simmelsberger will, are both minus 110. This should be a fun matchup. Um, I, I really like Jeremiah Wells, and I just think in terms of his ceiling, to me, it is, it is higher than Simmelsberger's. Uh, ceiling. So give me Jeremiah Wells. Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, he's coming to his own. Uh, I think that Simmelsberger is going to just try to, you know, outpoint him. Uh, you know, he's he's an exciting fighter and he's got the potential to knock him out. But I think that Jeremiah Wells just comes with so much power and, um, I, I like where he's headed. I like uh, where his momentum is at right now. So I'll take Jeremiah Wells as well. All right. Fight number two takes us to the women's flyweight division. Isman Lucindo and Brogan Walker. I believe she was on the, was that the last season of the ultimate fighter that we had? Or was that two seasons ago? That was, um, that was, yeah, that was last The season. last one that passed. Uh, she, okay. Yeah. She lost in the finale. That's right. That's right. I couldn't remember how far back it was, but Brogan Walker, Isman Lucindo. I absolutely loved what we saw from Lucindo the last time in the octagon. Um, this is a very tough matchup for Brogan Walker to, uh, to enter the UFC on, uh, give me Lucindo who is by the way, the minus three forty favorite plus two eighty for Brogan Walker. I think uh, if Brogan doesn't get her down, this is going to be a very long, well, it might be a short night, but this is going to be a very <laughs> tough night in the office if Brogan is not able to get her down. Uh, yeah, like you like you said, she had a very, very good fight in her first fight. Um, I think that was one of the best women's fights of the entire year last 100%. year. 100%. Um, and I think Brogan, while she's good, I, I just don't think she's got the skill set to... to to mess with Lucindo unless she just gets this fight to the ground immediately. So Lucindo for me as well. 
To the lightweight division, we have lightweight veterans Bobby Green and Jared Gordon. Last time we saw Jared Gordon, it was him getting robbed of the victory over Patty Pimblett. I say robbed. He it, it wasn't a robbery, but I still think he won. Uh, Bobby Green is your minus 255 favorite, plus 215 for Jared Flash Gordon. I think just the speed of Bobby Green is going to be a problem for Jared Gordon. I think he's going to have a hard time uh, getting his hands on him. Uh, give me the speed of Bobby Green in this matchup. I think this is going to be a 30-27 masterpiece of a performance from Bobby Green. Uh, I would probably say at this point that um, Bobby Green is a step up in competition from Patty Pimblett. Yeah. Um, and he's a vet, and his speed, his combinations. I mean, this is a tough. This is a tough one for Jared Gordon. And I don't know if he has the type of power that a Drew Dober had to, you know, get Bobby Green out of there. So, um, yeah, give me Bobby Green, man. All right, our way, com- go ahead. Um, two after two eighty seven, I know I came. You know, I got that plus eight. Am I am I minus one right now? Minus two? I believe it's two. Okay. Yeah, I believe it's two. Before we enter these last two, I needed to know how much I was down. But okay, cool, cool. Minus two. It's either two or three. I know. I know it's not one. It's either two or three. Because I, I I was either up by ten or eleven. But uh, yeah, I'll go back and look. All right, co-main event, middleweight division. This could potentially be fight of the night. This promises to be an absolute war. Both guys tough as nails. Brad Tavares and Bruno Silva. At 185, Brad Tavares is the minus 150 favorite, plus 130 for Bruno Silva. Brad Tavares, to me, has just been around forever. He he can take about anything you can throw at him. Um, I've just been a big fan of Brad Tavares and just the way that he approaches fights in general for a long time. So it's going to be Brad Tavares for me in the co-main event. Um, you know... This one's pretty tough because they're both in the same type of position in their careers. They both need a win, but they're both very exciting fighters. They're both tough outs. Uh, Brad Tavares has fought everyone. Um, tough to knock out. Um, and then, you know, Bruno Silva, you know, he was on such a tear. And then, you know, he lost to Alex Pajeda. And then he lost to, to Mearshart. And that Mearshart fight, I thought that that was going to be an easy win for him, but he ended up, Mearshart just kind of took it to him and then ended yeah. up submitting him. Uh, you went with Tavares. I was thinking maybe I'll go opposite you on this one. Since I think we'll probably go, we'll probably have the same on, on this in terms of the main event, I think I'll just pick uh, opposite you on this one and go Bruno Silva. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Our main event takes us to the heavyweight division and potentially a number one contender matchup. It is Curtis Blades and Sergey Pavlovich. Oddshark.com has Curtis Blades as the minus 175 favorite, plus 150 for Pavlovich. I I think when this fight was announced, I was kind of torn and and uh, went back and forth. And now that it's been fight week, uh, and I've I've thought about it, I feel pretty good about Curtis Blades in this spot. Uh, he's he's a veteran. He's he's fought everybody in the division. He's fought all of the big hitters. 
Uh, he seems to, I, I think, uh, look like he's just reached a, a different level in terms of like that drive and and the dog in him. Um, he looks like he's gotten better on the feet, and as we all know, uh, his his ground game is as good as anybody in the heavyweight division. Uh, I think he's just more well-rounded and short of Pavlovich just landing a big shot out of the gate here. I like Curtis Blades to get the victory. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going Curtis Blades as well. I think that while Sergey has you know climbed up the ranks pretty quick, I think he's fought five very um, stylistically pleasing matchups. I mean, he fought Tai Tuivasa. We know how that, how what his style is. Derek Lewis, we know what his style is. Shamil Abdurrahimov, we know what his style is. Maurice Green, no comment. Uh, Marcelo <laughs> Gomes, you know, it is what it is. So, you know, Sergey, he's fought all these guys who he should beat. Now, the Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa wins are are big time, you know, because those are two knockout guys who and we thought you know probably would get another knockout against Sergey. we didn't know how powerful and how good Sergey was but he proved that he's good but Curtis Blades is a completely different fighter than what he's used to I know Curtis Blades has been you know working on his hands as of late but I think in a, in a matchup like this he knows the danger that's coming and I think he's you know he's seen it fighting Derek Lewis fighting Francis Ngannou um, is Sergey that type of puncher? I mean, we'll, I mean, we believe that he is. So Curtis isn't probably isn't going to play those games. But you have to wonder: Is Curtis going to be sloppy with his shots like he was against Derek Lewis? I mean, Derek Lewis was was so labored back and so calm and chill that he forced Curtis Blades into a bad. Uh, takedown attempt and he timed it perfectly and knocked Curtis Blades out is Sergey going to approach it like that I don't know because Sergey in his last five ha- has blitzed all these guys if he blitzes Curtis Blades he's going down that's e- that's easy money for Curtis Blades if, if Sergey tries to uh, right. smother him so I don't know how Sergey's going to approach this and with that that's why I think this is probably uh, an easier fight for for Curtis because he's fought people like Sergey before and Sergey hasn't fought anyone like Curtis Blades before. That's right. Should be a fun matchup though. And, uh, either, either guy has a very big time case for, uh, the number one contender spot in the heavyweight division following whatever happens with, uh, John Jones and Stipe Miocic. I got a question for you before we, before we say goodbye. What are the, what do you think the chances are that John Jones or Steve Miocic fights Curtis Blades or Sergey Pavlovich? <laughs> zero point zero point zero point zero. I I always say this on my radio show on podcast. Like it's one of the things I I always stick to. Never deal in absolutes because yeah. there's always exceptions to the rule. Right? I yeah. feel about as confident as you could possibly feel <laughs> that neither John Jones or Stipe is taking a Pavlovich or Curtis Blades fight. Yeah. They, they will uh, retire. Yes. Um, that that <laughs> makes, you know, they, you know, I'm hearing a lot about this fight has a lot of championship implications and I'm just like, well, it does kind of like it's it just it not does, against the current like, champion or the current, uh, 
number one contender. Right, because like John Jones is not going to fight Curtis Blades. He's not going to fight Sergey Pavlovich. He's not going to fight Tom Aspinall. His la- I think his last fight is Stipe. And if they can throw a lot of a lot of money at him to fight Francis, then we'll see John Jones and Francis. But I Agreed. think in, in at MSG, that's gonna be the last fight of John Jones and of Stipe Miocic. Agreed. I think there's I think there's a better chance that Stipe will fight someone will fight again, but I think um in two years. Yeah. There's a better chance that Stipe will fight one of them. I'll say yeah. that. Like I think John Jones and Francis uh, could potentially happen, but Stipe is more likely to fight a, a Curtis Blades or a Sergey Pavlovich. John Jones is not. So I agree with that. So yeah, I, I, I don't mean, think either's going to do it. But yes, yeah, Stipe is yeah. is more likely of the two. Right. But like I mean, there's, there's like a zero point zero zero one chance that <laughs> that yeah, John does, and there so, you go. And there's just barely a little bit more that Stipe will. So yeah. So yeah. So and if Stipe wins, I mean Blades. Or Pavlovich better uh, get ready to hibernate <laughs> and and uh, wait for like a year or two years or I mean that's that's the way Stipe does it right like it just yeah he's once not year, an active champion he's he's, he's gonna a, he's, a, he's a firefighter once yep. a year that's <laughs> right can't be bothered that's right so yeah the winner of this probably faces the winner of another big fight that will take place probably toward the end of 2023 I would guess. <laughs> yeah, or um, one of these guys will fight for the Venkit Heavyweight Championship at the beginning of 2024. Yeah, against yeah, against somebody, yeah, against another like number one contender type uh, matchup later in the year. Because I don't think there's a clear cut guy for the winner of this to fight, right? Well, I mean, you wouldn't put Tom Aspinall probably. You wouldn't want to put him right back in there, but. I think Tom Aspinall is going to fight Tybora soon, but I think if Tybor if if Aspinall beats Tybora, I think it would make a lot of sense for Aspinall to fight the winner of this. I could get on board with that, but there's a lot that has to be yeah. that has to happen, yeah, of course. So for sure. All right, my friend, should be a fun fight card on Saturday, and hey, we're only two weeks away from that juggernaut that the is block. UFC 288. I, I I know I know that. Uh, you're canceling all your plans. You'll have only one TV on out of your four. You might have all four on UFC 288, so you can watch it from different angles. I know that's how stoked you are about the blockbuster event. That's well, here's the sick thing about me is I, I probably will cancel my plans to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be totally engaged to it. It's just It is just nowhere close to what the standard of UFC pay-per-views has been for a while. So that's especially, all like I said, especially after the first four pay-per-views that we've got, that we've had this year. So no doubt. All right, buddy, enjoy the week and we will do it again this time. One week from now. All right, brother. Have a good one. Podcast is over.